This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, you are reaching out and speaking to a group of people who have been very, very frustrated all week. As you guys know, the white man celebrated the white man's holiday. No offense, Alyssa. And that was July 4th because America, except for black people and Mexicans and gay people and women and anyone else who is not a white man, celebrated their independence on July 4th. And everyone ate barbecue food and drank lots of beer and partied and watched fireworks. And then the very next day, guess what happened? A man by the name of Alton Sterling was shot by the police. And the police said that they thought he had a gun. But the funny thing about that man having a gun was that the cops had their knees pinned to his back, had him pinned to the ground, had hit him with a stun gun, and all of a sudden saw a gun in his pocket, allegedly, and then shot him five times. And then when he was shot five times, of course, those two cops said that they were justified because they thought that their lives were in danger, even though no one else thought that he was being a problem or a danger. And even though he was just selling CDs in front of a store, and even though the owner of that store had given him permission to sell CDs in that store years ago and called him one of the kindest souls that he had ever met. Despite all of these things, Alton Sterling became another hashtag. That's right. Black people were put in jail, were shot, and were turned into hashtags, and Alton Sterling became a hashtag. And to add insult onto injury, the video went online, and it went viral, so his family got to see him murdered on a live stream. If you got a good data plan, you saw him die. If your friend has a data plan, you saw him die. If you were on Facebook, you saw him die. If you were on Twitter, you saw him die. And even though we all saw him die, as we have learned as as people of color in America, Seeing someone die at the hands of the police when they did nothing means nothing because blue lives matter more than black ones, apparently. And just as we were getting so upset over Alton Sterling, another video popped up. A brave woman went live on Facebook after her boyfriend was shot by a cop inside of his car with his daughter in the back seat. And while she was screaming and crying, saying that he was shot and blood was flowing from his chest and he was slumped over, the cops pulled her out of the car and made her walk around to test to make sure that she was a not a criminal and b not drunk only for her to come back in the car break down crying while the boyfriend was still slumped in the car and for her four-year-old little girl to say mom i'm here this is what happened in the first couple of days of this week and we began to protest and we began to scream and we began to cry because that's what we usually do and we said black lives matter and then we had some protests and some marches all across the state and in dallas guess what happened 11 police officers were shot five killed by a lone shooter affiliated with no one white america just in case you didn't know affiliated with no one went and took it upon himself to go after police officers was he right no was he justified absolutely not but am i surprised nope i'm really not so today we're going to be talking about all these crazy things that have been happening talking about our pain talking about our frustration talking about what seems to be a line drawn between black lives and allegedly blue lives because apparently there are such a things called blue lives and what we can do moving forward to make sure that they just stop killing us that's, that's if they can even do that so to start the conversation what i'd like to do is just get some reactions from my good friends and co-hosts selena and Alyssa. selena go ahead um I just want to start by saying that um, Diamond Reynolds, who was 
the fiance of Philanto Castro, who was killed in Minnesota, mm-hmm. she actually wasn't screaming and crying while after her boyfriend died, and she watched like she watched him take his last breath. She was so calm, cool, and collective; it was almost uncanny, and it was an, a, a direct juxtaposition, um, juxtaposition mm-hmm. of how that cop was. Like mm-hmm. if we we've all seen that video, right? Or if you choose to, the cop who was standing who who shot her fiance was still like screaming he looked extremely anxiety written he looked like he was having a panic attack and he was screaming out i told him not to reach for it and then diamond very coolly um corrected him and said no sir mind you she kept calling him sir to show her a level of respect and she said no sir you told him to show you his id that's what he was doing, and then you shot. I mean, it is just, and I just want to say that Philanto's mother has been doing a number of media rounds, and she's been just telling the world, I always taught my son to comply with complete with police. I told him, do not resist arrest, because this will increase your chances of survival as a black man in America. And we also know that he had a legal carry-arm permit, so he was legally licensed to have a gun. Proper procedure is also to verbally communicate that to a police officer, just so that you keep that police officer abreast, away aware of what's going on and in control he did that he complied he was reaching for his id and he was shot dead and it's like there's no way around it lastly what i will say is when i first saw this video it it had a stark comparison to another black man who i forget the state i think it was either north or south carolina a few years ago um, he was pulled over by cops in a gas station, and the cops said, you know, let me see your um, ID. He reached back into his car to get it. When he turned around, the cops shot him a few times. Mm-hmm. After he was already on the floor, he started apologizing to the cops, saying, I'm sorry, what did I do? Like, you told me to get I your ID. Yeah. yeah, you remember that. And yeah. I'm just like, even if you comply, you are still in danger of being shot dead in America as a person of color. Yeah. And the cop said, sorry, bro. That <laughs> no, was a cop you know. response. If you want to call in, before we get to Alyssa, I know people have a lot to say. If you want to call in with a question, comment, or just a vent, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Go ahead, Alyssa. Yeah, I say, I was going to say, when you have somebody like Newt Gingrich, who is like the whitest white white bread ever, and uh, clearly in the past has not been uh, in any position to try and help talk about uh, these issues. When when you have Newt Gingrich coming out and saying that it's more dangerous to be black in America, you know that you've wow. reached some kind of level. And, and mind you, even a broken clock is right twice a day, and Newt Gingrich may want to be Donald Trump's vice president, and so he may be trying to pander to the black community um, in order to get votes for the Republican candidate. Um, but that said, you know, it's, you know, we should have reached a moment a long time ago where people were really paying attention to what was going on. And I feel like we have this bad cycle where it's like somebody gets killed by the police. We protest injustice. It goes on for a while. Then that dies down. Nothing happens. Nothing changes. And then somebody else gets killed by the police and then we go through this cycle again and again and again and again i mean since michael brown was killed 
We can name so many others. There's Michael Brown. There's Tamir Rice. There's Eric Garner. There's Laquan McDonald. There's Walter Scott. There's Alton Brown. There's Philando Castile. I mean, and and the list goes on and on and on. Five hundred and sixty-one people since Michael Brown was killed. Yep. When does it stop? I don't. I wish I had the answer. We do have a caller on the line. I want to give the floor to Miss Deborah. Miss Deborah, let your voice be heard. Hi, guys. Hi, how Good are morning. you? First of all, I, I'm just, you know, you can't say, I can't say any more than what you just said. But I, I want people to be very mindful of Dallas, okay? Because last night, you know, when I looked at that little piece before going out, I, you know, it was like, oh, everything is, is you know, it's, it's popping up again. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's almost like, I don't even know if they're making it up now. You know, I mean, okay, you... you Eleven people were killed. I'm sorry to hear about that, but you know, I also feel like, to a certain degree, that the police are using their own, almost as a blanket to cover up, cover up what happened to the last two black men last week. And it sounds ugly, but I mean, you know, America's ugly. America can be very ugly sometimes. And you know, now you know. This morning, I heard you hear so much, so much. And then they're always talking about, oh, things are so fluid. Oh, you know, don't give me that. Don't give me that. One minute they claim, oh, they're afraid. Then they say, oh, well, we had everything under control. And I also want to know, how does, how does the police department know that the person that called, that, it wasn't, that person wasn't from the police department? So, uh, Ms. Deborah, it sounds like you're saying there may be, like, a conspiracy. Are you saying that the police set it up? I didn't say, I don't know. I'm just saying, if you are, if if this is something that just popped up yesterday and someone called. See, I I don't know the whole, the whole uh, thing, but they claim someone called with a threat or something like that. And, you know, that was, like, for yesterday. And, And they say that the police say that it's it's no one from their department. Well, how do you know that? Well, you know what? All details have not been fully disclosed. It's an ongoing investigation, but I will say this. It is so natural, especially for people of color, to be distrustful of police. The fact that we are even considering that the police departments may have set it up themselves just shows the level of distrust. We don't trust police, and police kill people within communities of color. And this has been an ongoing problem in America since its birth. And I mean, as you're going to find out later during our second segment, clearly even the police don't trust the police, especially when it comes to minority officers. Um, And that's why one of the reasons why they're bringing the lawsuit, and I can't wait to speak to Edwin Raymond during the second segment about that, but just like with respect to this segment, um, and getting back to what I was saying before, it seems like we're in this process where it's like we know the process. You know, I saw this meme the other day. We know the process. One, administrative leave. Two, tell the story that the guy was a thug, even if that's not true. Three, have a trial. Four, officers found not guilty. Or it should say three, no indictment, and therefore officer found not guilty. Five, next incident. Right. And and wash, rinse and repeat. And it's really, really frustrating. And, you know, so then we have to ask ourselves, like, what can we do to change it? And I know we're going to talk about some of the solutions later on uh, during this segment. But like from my point of view, um, as a civil rights attorney, uh, you know, I mean, we can see just like, you know, a stark contrast with respect to 
who has punitive interactions with the police uh, within New York City. Um, and I'm sure that what we see here is uh, just one tree in a forest, but is not uh, the trees in the forests in other places are not much different from the trees that we see here. Um, you know, I'm sure that we see a lot of things. I mean, and I also can tell you, I'm on a listserv full of other civil rights attorneys that have chit chat every single day back and forth about different legal issues. Um, you know, and we're all dealing with this. And these are lawyers all over the country that are dealing. Uh, you should see some of the emails I get about people's even a lot of stuff you don't hear about when people get shot by the police, but they don't die. Right. And then they call a lawyer. And then I hear about a lot of those things through the listserv, a lot of different lawyers saying, I'm representing such and such who was shot by the police or such and such, or I represent the family of such and such who was killed by the police. And these are the facts. And so there's a lot of other other incidents that fly below the radar that you don't even hear about in the mainstream media. So we do have a call on the line, but before we do that, I need to make a quick announcement. I've been making this announcement throughout the show. So in case you guys do not know, there have been protests going on in Baton Rouge all weekend. A lot of people have been arrested. Guys, listen, you know prison is not good for anybody. It's definitely not good for people of color. If you want to be supportive, please call the Baton Rouge Police Department at 225-389-3800 and demand the release of all protesters. And if you can, donate money Donate bail money. You can do that at crowdrise.com slash batten hyphen rouge hyphen bail hyphen fund. And we'll make sure we share that on Twitter as well. If you want to be an ally, this is your place and the time to do that. Selena? No, I thought you said a call on the line. Yes, yes, we do. Okay. So now on the line, we have Dixon. Dixon, let your voice be heard. Hey, how's everyone doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. I just wanted to um, just share my comments, my comments and sentiments on what is being spoke about. I honestly feel like that there's an aspect of this whole ordeal that's not really being talked about, especially with our generation, you know, considering that we're the next up to kind of deal with these problems and issues. I think that, you know, for example, you have the the unjust shootings, and I think that what needs to be taken into accountability is that most of these police officers, and I, I believe that this is, has been spoken to on mainstream media, is that, you know, there was a time when police officers policed the neighborhoods in which they served. And moving forward, you have police officers who are going into unknown, uncharted territory, and they're policing neighborhoods in which they do not serve and they do not live in. And the only consumption or the only notion that they have of the people in that neighborhood is what's being presented or, what's, or, or what they have of, 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 let's say, for example, black people and what the perception is of black people. Most of these police officers, when they are firing, when they're shooting black people, they are scared. And the worst person is to be to have a gun and to be scared. So these white police officers, they have a weapon, they have a badge, and they, they're afraid of the people that they are supposed to be protecting. And that combination is never good. And I think that when we talk about solutions, when we talk about what can actually be done in the black community to help us, unfortunately, just like you said, since Michael Brown, didn't you say it was like 516 deaths from wrongly deaths? Then? Yes. Well, you, you, Vixen, we um, are full, we stand in solidarity. Like, I definitely appreciate you for calling in Fiction. And if anyone else wants to let their voice be heard, the number is 212-650-6903. So, um, actually, just wanted to, you know, add to some of the things that uh, Vixen just said when he called in, which is, you know, you're absolutely right. I agree with that. Um, one of the other plaintiffs uh, in the case, um, or maybe has his own lawsuit, Adele Polanco, is also a police officer. Um, I had a chance and actually, Stanley was with me. We went to hear him speak um, at the Obsidian Baptist Church one night um, as part of a police reform. 
reform organizing uh, forum that was held. And he talked about when he was growing up what made him want to become a police officer is because he saw black and brown skinned police officers in his neighborhood. They knew him. Um, if there was some issue, if they came and saw him standing outside of a bodega, they would say, oh, that's little a deal. Like, people, like these officers knew who he was. They knew that he wasn't causing problems. And they also knew people in the community that were causing problems. And so they were not just randomly stopping anybody that they saw because they were familiar with the people in their neighborhood. I think one big fix, especially with respect to the New York City Police Department, and a lot of people disagree with this, but not only do I think we should make sure to have police officers in precincts in communities where they live, um, as Fiction points out. But I also think that if you don't live in New York City, you shouldn't be able to be a New York City Police Department officer. There are so many people that come in from Westchester, from Long Island, that have no idea. They don't know anything about these communities. They don't know these ty- They don't know these people. They don't understand the culture of people that live in these communities. And they're put in there to police, and they're, they have no... like. They, they look at these people as animals, not as human beings. And when you look at somebody as less than human, then it's easy for you to fire a gun at them and not think like you are taking the life of somebody who has a family, who has a mother, who has a father, who has children, who has a wife. Um, and, and also on that point, like it's, you know. It's not just white police officers because it's all police officers because they're taught this culture of fear, that they're always at risk of being shot. That, yep. And when you're constantly in fear, that fear creates anxiety. And when you have anxiety, you're more likely to pull the trigger, even in a situation where there's absolutely no need for you to pull the trigger. So there's a lot of things that we need to do to deal with that from the police officer level. And I actually want to bring this stuff back up during our next segment when we have the officer here to speak to him about some of these things and how he feels about them. Stanley? Thanks a lot, Alyssa. So we do have to go on a quick break but before we go I want to let you guys give you guys a hint of what's going to happen when we come back so real quick a report is coming out that Philando Castile was pulled over because he matched a description of a suspect with a wide set nose oh my god how many times have you heard that I'm going to let you guys sit on that for a little bit and when we come back we do have another caller on the line who wants to let his voice be heard this is let your voice be heard we'll be right back And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. I am in here with Selena Hill and Alyssa Fuchs, and we are talking about the recent police shootings that took place this week. Rest in peace, Alton Sterling. Rest in peace, Philando Castile. Rest in peace, Sandra Bland. Rest in peace, Rakia Boyd. And if you're wondering why I bring up those two women, it's because even though we have a situation where black men are being shot and killed by the police, black women are also being shot and killed by the police, and it is important that we say their names because they matter. We say see them. Selena? It's the one year anniversary of Sandra Bland's death too, FYI. Thank you. Thank you very much. So guys, before we went on a break, I mentioned that the police pulled over pulled over Philando Castillo because he matched the description of a suspect with a wide set nose. And that's a big issue in policing right now is racial profiling, something that's supposed to not be happening anymore, but I guess that's still a problem. We do have a caller on the line right now, so I want to get to him. Anthony, let your voice be heard. Oh, guys, how's everyone doing? So far, so good. How about you? It's my birthday. Happy Happy birthday. So, Anthony, what do you want to tell us today? Yes, uh, I just wanted to say that uh, Friday night I was out getting some Chinese food and a guy double parked his car to run to a Chinese restaurant. And, you know, the cops, there was something going on, like, on the block over. But, you know, they totally disregarded that. 
and they turn this attention. They turn the attention to this guy, and they go around the block, come back, and put on lights to give him a ticket. So now he's like, you know, officer, what am I getting a ticket for? You know, I just ran in, and you know, I'm ready to go. So they draw their guns on him, and I'm just like, all of this for a double parked car because someone went to get Chinese food. But you just totally disregarded an emergency two blocks away, you know, just to go around the block to give someone a ticket. And it's not like it was, you know, it was like uh, two cops that were black. I mean, were white. They're two, you know, black cops. I'm looking at them like, are you guys really serious? And they're just causing this whole big commotion. And, you know, it, it, it's just crazy. No, agreed. I mean, like, this is... Like I said earlier, um, because there's like this mentality once you become a police officer, so and it permeates whether you're a white officer or a black officer. But but getting back to what you were saying about how they were doing all this over a, a two second double parked car where a guy was running into a bodega. Right now, I've been working with the Coalition to End Broken Windows Policing, and specifically, I volunteer for Police Reform Organizing Project. But there's a whole coalition of different groups, and one of the projects that we've been working on is called Swipe It Forward. I don't know if you know this but um, one of the most pu- one of the the most punitive interactions that most people of color living in low neighborhood uh, low income neighborhoods um, deal with with the police has to do in the subway um, and getting on the subway system right now anytime somebody gets arrested for a two dollar and seventy five cents fare beat it actually costs the taxpayers of New York one thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars per arrest it costs if we were to provide unlimited metro cards to every single person who gets arrested um, for fair beating, we would actually save $10 million a year. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that come into punitive interactions that people of color have with policing and, um, you know, these dealing with issues of poverty that I've talked about before. And there's so many different things that we could do to stop people's punitive interactions with the police department when it comes to issues of homelessness and poverty. And that's just one solution that we can take to cut down on the number of interactions that people have with the police to begin with. Um, but that said, I know we have uh, somebody great on the line. Stanley, I'm going to yes. go back to you so you can introduce her. Thank you so much, Lisa. And I'm glad you're talking about solutions because in the spirit of talking about solutions, we have Carmen Perez, who is a co-founder and executive director of the Justice League New York City. I was lucky enough to see Carmen speak at the National Action Network's um, headquarters this um, past Friday, and she gave a lot of good um, suggestions of things we can do moving forward. And she also spoke up about the um, Latino community being like needing to be allies and being allies and us being allies to them as well. So, Carmen, thank you so much for calling in today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be able to be on, um, continue the conversations that we started right from the moment in which we saw the video of Alton Sterling. So happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So, Carmen, um, I was at the event on Friday, um, and one of the things that I was really happy that you were talking about uh, was that like we have these organizations who are, who are active and who are doing works, and when these incidents tend to happen, you have a lot of people, myself being one of them, who are like, why aren't we doing this, or we should do this. And there are organizations already doing it. And you talked about maybe having some of these organizations working closer together so that it's not a situation where everyone's kind of like scrambling at the end of it. What's, what kind of steps are you guys taking to make sure that happens in the future? So for us, it was really important to be at National Action Network um, and kind of show solidarity, right? We've been working with other organizations like Communities United for Police Reform, the Justice Committee, uh, trying to push the Right to Know Act um, and different policies that impact our communities. But I think we also have to be a little bit more intentional about our relationships and build 
collective power, build a black and brown agenda around gun violence, around police reform or mass stopping mass incarceration. And that's what we're committed to. So what steps are, is, are the Justice League taking to, to be addressing that? I know a couple of organizers out there in, uh, in Baton Rouge at the moment, correct? Yeah. So we have organizers across the country under the uh, umbrella of the Gavin for Justice, which is the mother organization of Justice League. And so we do have people where we've been convening conference calls. We're working with people like Erica Ford um, from Life Camp, who, you know, we convene some of the shot callers from the East and the West to talk about real solutions in our communities. How are we not only going to address the violence that's happening at the hands of police, but also the violence that happens in our communities? Um, so we've been on conference calls. We've been talking about how do we build our agenda what do we really want, right? We understand that there are tactics that are being used, like what we saw with Representative John Lewis and him doing a sit-in around, you know, gun violence, gun laws, uh, but the law didn't really um, speak to the community and had implications that were ha- more harmful to black and brown and Muslim communities than they were um, solutions. So I think for us, it, it, this gives us an opportunity to really stop oftentimes organizations like Justice League and, and Justice Committee and all and all of us that are doing this work on the front lines every single day, you know, are under-resourced. And because we're under-resourced, we're just kind of like moving, 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 uh, having to respond rapidly to what's happening on the ground. But this is giving us a moment to really stop and think about what we need and actually come together so that we could build our black and brown agenda and collective power. And Carmen, I just want to salute you and also the other members of the New York Justice League and, and activists who dedicate their lives to fighting on the ground, especially when you're so under-resourced, as you just mentioned. Like, it's a hard job. It's already emotionally distressing. And on top of that, you don't really have the resources and the funds to get what needs to be done. But somehow you guys make it work. So salute to you. And um, the question I wanted to ask is, you know, right now, every time there's a, a brutal shooting of a black or brown person, especially when it's caught on camera, everyone is up in arms, especially people who are not organizers, not activists, but people are just angry. And what I'm hearing is people don't really have a sense of direction on what they should do or what they can do. You know, I like someone like me. I go to marches, you know, I try to volunteer, do do different things, but they want to, some people don't want to just go to a march. They either can't or they want to do more. So what advice do you give like average civilians who are saying, I'm mad, I'm fed up. I either want to be an alley or I want to protect my people. What can, what can they do? And I really, I really think there's a, a grand opportunity that we could take advantage of here when people are saying that, right? They have righteous anger. They want to direct it towards something. And, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about, um, especially, you know, what, uh, the conversation that happened at NAN was that the Justice Committee had talked about if you are near a local cop watch, get involved, right? Get out and vote. Help support the policies that impact our communities. There's the End Racial Profiling Act, right? There's also stopping the militarization of policing um, on a federal level. And then we have our other coalition partners that are working on local policies like the Right to Know Act, the legislative package that aims to protect the civil and human rights of New Yorkers. Um, also, you know, if you teach yoga, right, like teach some self-care courses to activists like ourselves, I mean, we are, and we are, we are in pain, right, spiritually, in pain, and um, because every day we turn on the news, um, there's a new body, there's a new person. 
Um, there were actually five deaths since July, 4th of July. Um, there was Antonio Nunez, who was killed. Um, there was also Pedro Villanueva. There was Deron Small. Um, and those are the, the names that we haven't really heard um, because we did, those weren't caught on camera. Um, but they were definitely killed by, at the hands of police. But we also, you know, if, if people work, um, are artists, right, work with your local community, put, bring people together to, like, you know, have a day of art um, as an outlet. Also, you know, if you, if whatever you do well, you don't need to become an activist and, and, and go in marches if that's not what you want to do, but bring your talent to the table. And that's the way in which we build Justice League. When we talk about not having financial resources, what we do have at Justice League are human resources. We have Tamika Mallory, who has a consulting firm on communications. We have Linda Sarsour, who works in the Arab-American community and the Muslim community. We have Marvin Bean, who is my co-founder, who um, does art for Amnesty International. So we, what we do is we come together and we build collective power. We're able to bring each other's talents to the table so that and we could do something that's impactful. And so I ask people to really think about what's your gift and how could you contribute it and also if 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 you just if you have the financial resources, please you know donate to those of us that are actually doing the work on the ground. Um, you know, there's different ways in which people could get involved. Thank you, thank you very much for that, Carmen. So now we know we got to let you go, but before we do, I would just like to ask you to let let listeners know how they can get involved, how they can connect with the Justice League, and how they can hit the ground running as well. Of course, of course. Thank you for that. So um, people could go to our website. It's gatheringforjustice.org, G-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-G-F-O-R-J-U-S-T-I-C.org. And also they could follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are at NY Justice League. Thank you so much for calling in today, Carmen, and you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you so much, Carmen. All right. All right. Peace. Guys, I have some new information for you. If you are in Harlem or just are looking for another way to get involved, um, so there's there's a Kappa Alpha Psi and, and the, some other members of the Divine Nine are hosting a Greeks for Change event at H Loft. The address is 226 West 145th Street in New York City today. It's starting at 3 p.m. All are welcome. They have a full agenda. They're going to be doing a meet and greet, open for discussion, group resolutions, collective discussions of resolutions, and then passing out literature for organizations who are doing work. If you want to get involved, there are plenty of ways to get involved and get plugged into the movement. And don't listen to anyone who tells you that marching doesn't work or policy doesn't work. All tactics within the movement work. Don't shoot down anything. Use everything. Alyssa, do you have a comment? Yeah, no, I do. Um, uh, I know we're going to go to break soon. You know, something that always comes up, and, and thankfully, I'm really happy nobody's called in and said, what am I going to say? Somebody's always going to call and say, but what about black on black crime? Right. That's like a refrain that you hear a lot when we're talking about police violence. And like, I just thought that I wanted to address that affirmatively because nobody has called and said that, thankfully. Um, But like it's apples and oranges. It's a non sequitur. Like when people bring it up, it just bothers me. Like stop bringing it up. We like we understand that there are issues. There's white on white crime. It's at 88 percent. There's black on black crime. It's at 90 percent. Like people kill other people. We get that. But but, you know, when Ray kills Ty, Ray goes to jail for life. Our issue is when Officer Bob kills Ty and there's audio and there's video and there's 19 witnesses and Officer Bob goes home on paid administrative leave. Yep. That 
that's the issue. So nobody is saying that other things are not an issue. Um, and actually, there's a great op-ed in the New York Times um, called Killing in Black and White, which I urge everybody to read. And she says, if you want interracial killing, then you need to have interracial communities. Yeah. And you know what? She's right. Like, we are still living in communities that are segregated. And we still have situations, as we pointed out, where we have people that aren't familiar with the community policing the community. Yeah. And yes, we are trying to change that. So vote and protest and voice your, you know, voice your opinion and s- sign petitions and get involved with police reform uh, groups that are doing work on the ground, um, you know, or if you can't get, actually give the time, but you have money to give, donate to some of these groups, help get involved in actions, film the police if you see a police interaction going on. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to end my final comments right now, which is to say there's two quotes that always come to mind when I think about this. The first one is Desmond Tutu. People always think about the beginning of the quote, but they always leave out the second part, and it's important. The full quote is, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your appreciate your neutrality, you know, which is to say you have to look out for the little guy. You cannot just stand back and try and be neutral. If you do that, you are part of the problem. You are not part of the solution. As Martin Luther King once said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality that is tied to a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly infects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with a narrow provincial outside agitator a deal. Anyone who lives in the United States can never be considered an outsider. This affects all of us, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whether you are in a low-income community of color or whether you live on the Upper East Side. Don't be neutral. Speak out. Don't be part of the oppressor. Be part of the people who are standing out for those that are oppressed. Selena, you have any closing statements? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Carmen did a great job in listing a number of solutions that we can all take part in, whether you're a part of groups like the New York Justice League or NAN and groups that do wonderful work uh, when it comes to just fighting police brutality, or if you're someone who's just outraged and, you know, ready to, to make some tangible changes. But I also want to say a, a big thing that needs to be done is accountability, Right. Officers need to call murder, murder. They also need to stand as allies with the people because before they put on those blue uniforms, they're human beings. And especially if they're black and Latino, I mean, there have been incidents where off duty black and Latino cops have been shot down by other cops. So, right. So this is, uh, again, something that um, that we need to do. And I think that uh, another point that needs to be made here is when it comes to accountability, the media has a huge role in that as well. And that is making sure that the public is fully informed on how public sector employees act. And what and what that means is instead of always criminalizing victims by putting up Alton Sterling's, um, Sterling's uh, mugshot and talking about his criminal record, why aren't we talking about the criminal records of the cops that shot him? Because they had a number of complaints against them. And also, the off-duty cop that shot Durham Ron Small, right, right in Brooklyn, in East New York, on uh, J- uh, July 4th. He also, back in 2014, 
was involved in a racially uh, racially violent case in which he and another officer were accused of beating up a black person. The other person, uh, the other officer also allegedly called that man the N-word and New York City wound up paying that victim $20,000 in a lawsuit. But you know what? That cop that shot Dorlin Small, he... After that incident in 2014, he went right back on active duty. And guess what? He is currently on active duty. So I think that we need to stop ignoring police officers that get all these complaints. Stop giving them slaps on the wrist. Because what's happening over and over again is they're going out and killing people. They don't get better. They get worse. I have a fun fact for you, Selena, about that same officer. So he said the reason that he shot the guy was because he was being punched in the face. Some video just leaked. He never... I'm I'm sorry I forgot I forgot the victim's name unfortunately um but he was he was never punching the officer Darlon Small Darlon Small he never touched the officer he came out of his car and went towards the cop's car and the cop shot him that's what happened in the video the cop lied the witnesses lied yep that, that tells you the power of the police and the power of of just straight up BS. But guys, before I start cursing in here, I want to close this out. And with the closing, I want to give you guys some important information. We have activists and protesters in the Baton Rouge prison right now. If you want to help get them bailed out, you can call 225-389-3800 and demand the release of all protesters. If you have the money to, please donate funds towards the CrowdRise to pay for their bail. That's CrowdRise.com slash Baton hyphen Rouge hyphen bail hyphen fund. We'll tweet it out for you. We can all be an ally in one way or another if you don't talk tweet if you can't tweet donate if you can't donate share let's do something and now i want to close out the conversation like this we are stuck in a situation where we're having the same conversation that we had two weeks ago and a month before that we had that conversation and three months before that we had that conversation and the year before that we were in the studio and we were frustrated and we didn't know what to do because we were tired of having the conversation and the reason that we continue to have this conversation is because of racism of course and one thing you need to understand about racism is that racism is a creation of white people. It's as simple as that. And you might not like what I'm saying, you might not agree with me, but it's true because I didn't create this modern idea of slavery that white people did because there was slavery in Africa, there was slavery in China, there was slavery in the Middle East, but it wasn't the way it was. That It wasn't the kind of slavery that we saw in Jamestown, Virginia. It wasn't like that. It wasn't the kind of slavery we saw in the Caribbean. It wasn't the kind of slavery we saw in Mississippi. That slavery, that idea was created by white people. Jim Crow laws, white people. The fact that we had to go to war to stop slavery, white people. School to prison pipeline, white people. You may not have been directly involved in writing those laws or pushing that slavery or being a slave or hosing down a black person, or shooting Martin Luther King. But if you are white, you suffer from something I like to call white privilege. And it's helped you out a lot, whether you know it or not. So you now have a responsibility to stand up and do something. And now for people of color, we will never stop having these conversations and never stop being mad and never stop saying never again and never stop hearing me spit these diatribes and pontificate about police violence until we have power and not just power we have to have love because love without power is nothing but a useless emotion and power without love is supremacy we have a lot of supremacy it's called white supremacy it's called male supremacy it's called cisgender straight supremacy and i'm tired of supremacy what i need is love what i want is power and when you have love and you have power you can put your foot on the neck of the establishment and say we're not going to take this anymore and if you don't want to take this anymore start the love get some power you cannot have a 
movement that's only active on Tuesdays and Thursdays or when someone gets shot. The movement must always be moving. The movement must always be growing because when your movement is not growing, it is dying. And guess what? We are dying in the numbers. But if you don't want to quit and if you don't want to give up, you also have to remember you can't stop believing because the minute we stop believing is the minute we die forever. And with that, I'm going to switch with the random song because I want you guys to come out of this feeling like we can have some hope, and that's Don't Stop Believing. It's one of my favorite songs because when I feel really down, it's one of those tracks that kind of pick you up, and hopefully it picks you guys up too. And so we'll play that song. When we come back, we'll be doing a news roundup, guys.